Hi everyone, it's Sophie Levine and Chasine Kemmerer. We want to welcome you to the first episode of the podcast from Get Woke. Two of us are going to be talking about race and asking questions and telling stories and just all attempting to navigate through everything that's going on in the world. We hope you'll enjoy. Hi, Chess. Hi, So. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm good. <laughs> Doing the things. Did you survive this week? Uh, barely. Like, barely survived this week. Same. It was a weird week. It was. It was know. really, really long, but it also went by really quickly. I've been trying to get over this, like illness this bubonic plague going through my body you've been your body's been trying to get you sick for like three weeks now yeah it's been like four years but like i'm finally oh. there i'm i just need to get over this i want my voice back that's what i want i don't really is sound, it gone doesn't sound like me right now that's i thing. disagree okay but okay all right i also fine. talk to you all the time oh, um okay. i've been warming up <laughs> you're doing vocal exercises yeah. in the booth <laughs> i wake up i wake up in the morning and i just like run through you know <laughs> It's great. Everything's fine. I was, I really was hoping you would say feeling like P. Diddy. I don't know what you're talking Wake about. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Oh, I just, for whatever Kesha. reason. We love her. Oh, I, um, love her. I wasn't going to say that. I don't know why it popped into my head. Yeah, I don't know. I hated it. I hated every <laughs> second of that. Um, we love you, Kesha. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Kesha. Anyway. We're on her side. Yeah, we are. Always. Al- always. Literally always. Um, girl. Yeah. So speaking of speaking of being on the side of women, actually, um, we're going to talk intersectionality today. Let's do it. Let's hop right in. Let's hop in. Um, So we have a quote here from a woman named Kristen T, which is intersectionality means showing up even when the issues don't affect you. Right. I think it's a really nice quote. I think it is, too. Um, It's important to note that especially after the Women's March and with the immigration ban and some of the marches and protests that were going around the country, I kept hearing people repeat that they didn't hadn't heard the term intersectionality before, which is eye opening for me because it's a term that I know so well and that I've been using a lot. But I think that's important. Not a lot of people know what it means. So let's delve right in and, and talk about what like what does intersectionality mean to you? Well, I think it's. I think it's also important to note that the issues that we're all talking about, race, feminism, climate change, the immigrant ban, everything, it, it everything affects everything. Right. And intersectionality is intersectionality recognizes that and makes the issues important in all of the issues, if that makes sense. It makes sense. So the climate the climate change affects Feminism, which affects that, and it just everything is relative, and everything thrives when everything thrives. Right. I'm not being very articulate, but you're actually hitting <laughs> the nail on the head. Maybe yeah. just because we're friends, and and I get what you mean. But I mean, whenever you have a topic, let's just use feminism as an example. It's a, uh, you know, important to all of us. I personally believe that everything has to do with feminism. I think that okay. everything has to do with, you know, women being equal. But within feminism, there are so many different types of women. And while we need to come together and support each other, we should also be cognizant of other people's struggles and other people's, you know, um, struggles and issues. And, and, and I don't know, how do you say this? Support each other while recognizing our differences and celebrating our differences. Yes. That is what intersectionality yes. means to me. Absolutely. That took me a while to get out. No, I liked it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, since we brought up feminism, let's just let's touch on the Women's March. It's been 
a few weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophie, you and I went together. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was both amazing, but also um, a little bit... Eye-opening. Eye-opening. It was. Yeah. So the day, um, just to describe, me and Sophie drove down with two of our other friends, met up with a ton of people. We had a group of 11 women um, at, at, the, at the march. There were a lot of us. It was a pretty diverse group. It was three generations... Two, two and a let's half, say two. maybe. Let's yeah. Say, yeah, two, yeah. Um, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. We had several countries represented. Australia, United States. Um, we had several states. Ohio, New Jersey, California, New Michigan. York, Michigan, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was cool. We marched with a few women who marched for Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. which... In a way, sucks that they're still marching for their rights, however, 30 years later, but... It's also super also, inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Talking to them about, you know, how, when they marched, what it meant to them and what it means to them today, because, yeah. you know, some of the women that were marching with us that were, or uh, marched for Roe v. Wade, you know, they, at the time, were the kids. They, at the time, were youth. They were the future of this country. And they now were us. They were us. And now they were looking at us like, wow... I'm so proud of you guys, you know, to be carrying the torch on because that's yeah. what we're doing, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the day was beautiful. Um, I felt safe. I felt really happy to see so many people show up and show out um, yeah. in numbers that I could not even imagine in D.C. Nobody It was did. literally, there were so many people in D.C. that the entire route of our march was filled with people. So there was literally not a place for us to put our foot in front of ourselves in order to go the way of the march. So we had to turn around and watching walk the inauguration route, which was amazing. And it just made me it was feel really like cool. we did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really cool too, because we were marching with our friend from Australia who had never seen the white house before. Right. And while we were there protesting the man in it, she was so like, she was so excited to see the white house and she's, from Australia, but she's also an American citizen, and it was really cool to, like, share that moment with her where she's seeing this, all of this for the first time. Mm-hmm. I, it was really, it was really interesting. Really inspiring. Um, but at the same time, it was a little bit disappointing for me um, in particular, and, and I've written about this, and I've, I've talked about it a lot just with my friends, um, seeing so many people show up for this march, but having marched before not seeing the representation out at like a Black Lives Matter march or, you know, when people have died. And it's it's a little bit, on one hand, it's very inspiring to see so many people come out. On the other hand, I'm like, are you going to come to the next one that doesn't have to do directly with feminism or directly with a right. Planned Parenthood, yeah. you know, sponsored event? Are you going to come out when the next time, you know, It doesn't violent? affect you maybe directly. Right. Yeah. Um, looking at you, white people. <laughs> looking at you, everybody, but yeah, yeah whites. Yeah. Um, the whites. The whites. I, uh, <laughs> we saw a photo online um, afterward. I think it was from the Los Angeles Women's March, but I, I'm not quite sure. But there was a picture of, I think, like four women dressed as suffragettes holding signs exclusively, exclusively of Beyonce lyrics. And it was so frustrating for me to see because... It just takes a certain audacity and ignorance to be able to hold signs of Beyonce lyrics while dressed as one of the most racist suffragettes. Yeah. Yeah. 
the suffragettes were super racist people. And there's actually a quote by Susan B. Anthony in which she says, literally, and I quote, um, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I ever, before I will ever work or demand the ballot for the Negro and not the woman. And it was, you know, time and place for them to literally not allow black women or, you know, people of color of the time to join their efforts because on one hand they thought that it would railroad the efforts of the suffragettes, but at the same time they just didn't want to be associated with black people at all. And it was against their mission as suffragettes. And like, we're not really taught that in school. We're taught to revere Susan B. Anthony. And I was just about to say, I was never, I was never taught that in school, in history. It was the suffragettes were this amazing group and, of women and they right. did so much and blah, but it was, there was so much more to it than that. And right. I think it's awful that we're not taught that. Right. It's so interesting becoming an adult and realizing how many holes are in the history that we were taught. Yeah. Our, uh, the American history that we were taught. Like we live in an amazing country, but we also live in a country with a very sordid past that we haven't come to recognize and understand before we've, and, yeah. you know, Forward like we're it. still celebrating Columbus Day. Right. Only now are people like, hey, there might be another history there. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, we've been saying that. Yeah. Thank you yeah, for listening. Lot. Great. Not really. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a few weeks since the Women's March. It's also been a few weeks since the immigrant ban protest and march. So what happened? <sighs> right. <laughs> Uh, what happened there? <laughs> um, as we know, uh, Donald Trump put in place a, I don't know if it was temporary, was it a temporary ban? It was, it was supposed a, to be, from what I understand, it was supposed to be for 120 days. 120 day ban. Which is four months, which is a long time. A long time for people. Um, a ban for immigrants coming from Iraq, Syria, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen, and just those seven countries. And there was a ban specifically for Muslim um, travelers, I should say, because it's not just, you know, immigrants, it's people visiting, it's people with visas, it's people with green cards, and, um, you know, Christians were given priority, but it was a very specific measure put in place by the White House, and it affected a lot of people. Um, From it, there was a taxi ban at JFK, um, an airport here in New York, where Mm -hmm. taxis, JFK was just empty. There were no taxis that showed up. Um, I guess Uber lifted the ban and there were some Ubers that were coming, which a lot of people are upset about, but that's a conversation for another day that we should probably expand on. But, um, sure. But yeah, there was a, there was a taxi ban and there were a lot of protests that came from it. And, you know, it was inspiring for me, um, particular in particular, it was about a week after the women's March, there was a protest down in Battery Park in downtown Manhattan. And it seemed like a lot of the same people that were at the Women's March were at the immigrant ban protest, mm-hmm. which is the epitome of of intersectionality and understanding that even if something might not directly affect you, I don't have any relatives or friends that are immigrants from those specific seven countries. Um, but it's important to me as a daughter of immigrants of some sort and as a human being um, to recognize that not everything's about me. Absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there was also oh, yeah. from it, what happened? Um, then there was the bodega strike, which I I think is really important. 
Um, it was headed by Yemeni bodega owners. Um, about 5,000, I think. It was 1,000. 1,000? 5,000? 1,000. Yeah, 1,000 bodegas. 5,000 people. Right. That's um, Yeah. And bodegas are run... I don't want to get my facts wrong, but bodegas are primarily run by immigrants. immigrants. And there's, at least in New York City, they're so important. Mm-hmm. Um, they provide a place of safety mm-hmm. in a lot of, which I think is like, this is the epitome of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I have felt unsafe on the street and I have run into my nearest bodega to mm-hmm. seek safety. Right. And it, it, late at night, like, or anytime, really, it's, it's a place of, you can get whatever you want, whatever you want, but you also have a place to go if you feel threatened. Right. And you have a, I mean, there's a bodega across the street. So maybe we should rewind for people who don't live in New York. (laughs) A bodega, a bodega is a convenience store, basically. Yeah. They're everywhere. They're everywhere in New York. Everyone calls them bodegas. I realize that's not the term in other Like a deli, It's a deli. Yeah. There are a lot of ones, and there's one across the street um, from where I live that when Hurricane Sandy happened, that was the first place my roommate and I um, made the decision to go because we knew that they would be serving coffee, we knew that they would still be open, that we could charge our laptops and computers. It is a place of safety, and it's a pl- everyone knows about bodegas in New York City. And there's this quote um, online by someone named Sarah O. Mayozak. I hope mm-hmm. that I'm saying her name right, but it's a it's a beautiful quote. Yeah, um, it's been shared quite a bit, so we felt it was important. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing, but why not? Okay. Bodegas save lives. Queers and women know this. If you've ever been followed or threatened in the city, you know to find your local bodega where Abraham keeps a bat behind the counter. Bodega dudes are New York's finest. Finest is capitalized. Important to know. That is. Um, They represent the best in community policing, often provide shelter and jobs to the homeless, call you brother when you need it, help you meet the gap in your paycheck with cheap meals, hook up Lucy's when you're trying to quit smoking. A Lucy is a single cigarette. Um, Talk to old people, notice when you're in your job interview outfit. Bodegas make it possible for poor POC to survive in New York City. Bodegas citywide are going on strike from 12 to 8 p.m. in solidarity. It would behoove all of us to show support for these businesses today and tomorrow by eating our meals at your local Yemeni-owned bodega. Help them recoup their losses and create connections across the counters. Support immigrant communities in the resistance. It is so beautiful for someone to share that and to really understand what it is like and and to really put into perspective how important bodegas are. It just seems like, you know, it's something that we we, we take advantage of. What's the term? take for granted we take for granted we take for granted how lucky we are to be able to be like "Eh, i'm hungry i'm gonna walk two seconds out of my apartment door to a store right there where i can get some food i can get something to drink i can you know and in that same bodega where i went during sandy there's a there's a guy that works there every time i go in there he greets me like i'm his daughter me too and he's the sweetest man i just i genuinely love him and he always is like take care like, come back. I, I want actually, to see you here soon. I had a conversation. It's, it, we should also note that Chissy and I live in the same neighborhood. Yeah, we do. Um, so we both visit the same place. But um, I went in there the other night and had a conversation with him about Donald Trump. He yes. flat out asked me. He was like, what do you think? And I was just, I was, I never really had a conversation like that with mm-hmm. him before. It was super interesting and just, you know. He's the best. He's the best. Love 
that guy. Um, but yeah, it's it's so much more than just a store. It's mm-hmm. it's showing that immigrants are an integral part of this country. Mm-hmm. To ban them at all is truly awful. We should also note that this is a very targeted um, ban. Yes. They're from yes. Muslim-majority countries, yes. but not all Muslim-majority countries. I think it is ridiculous to... This is a political conversation. I think it'd be important to like get into this deeply at another time, but obviously banning one type of group, one group of people, and homogenizing them into some sort of dangerous trope because of right. what we've been fed from the media and, and things like that is a horrible... It's a horrible path to go down. But then to also target specific countries with literally no rhyme or reason, other than the fact that maybe the administration, Donald Trump, doesn't have money tied up in those countries, mm-hmm. which is which is a, what a lot of people are saying. Not putting truth to that. I can't say anything because I would, I'd like to read more about it before I speak out of my ass. But <laughs> that said... It's a really, really scary thing to just start banning people that, in a lot of cases, this is their home. Yeah. It invokes fear. Right. Unwarranted fear. Um, And it's just, like, flat-out racist, also. Right. Um, Xenophobic. Yeah. Islamophobic. Yeah. All the ifs. All the phobics and all of the isms Mm -hmm. are tied up into this immigrant ban, and it is horrifying. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's as, at least for me, as an intersectional feminist, Mm -hmm. this is important to me because I know that they're going to protect me when I need them and Mm -hmm. I will absolutely do that. Like, anyone who's going to protect me, I'm going to help protect you. Right. And that is the epitome of intersectionality and And it's showing up for everybody. Even people who don't agree with us because all of the people that criticize the Women's March, women and men, I'm showing up for you too. You might not accept it. You might not realize why or what that means, but we didn't go out to march just for ourselves. We went out to march for every single person, people that hate me, the racist, your right to free speech, the, you know, misogynist. I'm here for you too because you know what? When, When we all thrive, we all thrive. We all thrive. And the people who benefit the most from intersectionality, from, you know, what's it called? Raising up, encouraging uh, marginalized groups, women, immigrants, uh, people of color, um, and different cultures in this country. White men are the ones who benefit most because they are the ones already Say at the top. Say it louder. And I realize Oh my God. People don't get that. And it's so really annoying. It is so frustrating because it's like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want other people to have the same opportunities as you. Because even if we, we talk about this in economics, like economic theory, we progress and we get better as a nation when there are different ideals that come yeah. through. And when you have that diversity in thought, when you have that diversity in science, there is so much more that we can accomplish as a nation. We want to be better. If we want to continue to tout ourselves as the best country in the world, then we need to act like it. And banning people and being ists and being phobic of everybody that we aren't, everybody and everything that we aren't familiar with is only going to put us like, you're, you're, you're dumbing, you're dumbing yourself down. Also, like, white <laughs> white men are already at the top. Right. And when everyone else is thriving, they're going to remain at the top. Like, they right. benefit most. Right. And it's just... Ugh. Okay. We, yeah, right. <sighs> okay. So, I guess, intersectionality, it's important to note 
that by being the best intersectionalist you can be, you need to be an ally. Or I guess if you're an intersectionalist, you already are an ally. Right. And I at least personally struggle with how to be the best ally I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to show up. Right. You and know? it's also hard to show up. I saw a, uh, a Facebook post from one of my Facebook friends who expressed his concerns about being an ally. He is liberal. He is for, you know, people, for the rights of people of color. For... I thought you meant he was four years old. I was like, no, he's four years he's old. He's four. He's a child. Uh, <laughs> he just learned the alphabet. Mm. So he he is an intersectional, he's feminist, he is for everything. But what he struggles with the most, basically evoked in this Facebook post, is when he tries to show up, when he feels like he's showing up in the wrong way, kind of getting shut down by people who are like, you are not doing this right. And he's like, it kind of makes me want to give up and not show up at all or not speak out on things because every time I try to, it feels like I'm doing it wrong. And I feel like so many people struggle with that. So many people struggle with that. Because there's so much opposition no matter what. Like, it's just the age of the internet. But it's so hard to do everything the right way all the time. Mm -hmm. And... Everything with that comes with being an ally, it's you're gonna get that no matter what. Right. So it's trying to figure out how to be the best you can be while also knowing that that is a very real possibility. Right. I guess. One person who responded to his Facebook post basically was like, "Get over it. Get over yourself. <laughs> do better. If you want to be an ally, like buck up and just do the work." And. My response kind of, the the person who wrote the Facebook post wrote essentially that, you know, if you're not doing it right, if you're an ally that's not showing up right, like, you kind of want people to educate you and tell you what you're doing wrong um, or in a nice way that doesn't dissuade you. And I'm kind of like in the middle of that. Yeah. I, on one hand, I get that getting yelled at all the time doesn't encourage people, but at the on the other hand, you know, I didn't I didn't just know everything about the struggles of being a black woman because I'm a black woman. I don't know everything right. about being Nigerian because I'm Nigerian. I taught myself anything that I know about these struggles are things that I Googled or I read in books or I taught myself or I asked my parents. And, you know, I think that part of being a good ally is doing the research yourself. So yeah, I responded absolutely. to him. I'm going to read it because I wrote it. And <laughs> speaking is not a forte for me. Um, <laughs> so I responded and I said, what I have an issue um, with here is that it is your responsibility to educate yourself. You may not know everything, but it is your job to do better if you're an ally. It's not fair of you to ask the marginalized person to continue to educate you. I don't support shutting people down who are trying, but I do support those people being called out on their ignorance. It's a shame that so many people... Um, take that as a negative thing. The only time ignorance becomes a bad thing is when it's willful. Don't be that person and challenge yourself to do better and not make being an ally about yourself. If you're an ally, you should want to be the best one and not demonize others when they hold you to a high standard. And I, I truly, truly believe that. I think, you know, if you're going to call yourself an ally, you need to be willing to do the work. And if your feelings as an ally are, you know, you put your feelings as an ally over the marginalized person and their struggle then you're being selfish is what I think. I mean, yeah, it might hurt your feelings when someone's like, hey, shut up next time. Or, hey, why don't you read something before you choose to speak on it? Yeah. But at the same time, if you think that is more difficult than the struggles of a marginalized person, you know, deals with every single day, then you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong, like, battle. 
Like you should. You're just in the wrong. You're just you're you're in the wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, yeah. yeah, he took it really well, and I think he you know understood that that argument and the guy that initially responded in a pretty he was he was pretty brash. He wasn't you know he didn't mince his words, but he did say something that I really really um. I really appreciate it. It's in two different comments, but he said, in all honesty, the phase you're in sucks and you'll feel like shit a lot during it. But the good news is that you're getting close to a much easier slash better space. Eventually you'll get more comfortable in that space of feeling like I fuck it up every time I try and start to burn it as fuel to be slash try slash do better. If I knew a shortcut, I'd give it to you. He also said, we inherited a lot of incomplete homework from previous generations and it's way the fuck past deadline. Do the best you can, but don't stop just because it's hard, even though it's super tempting and most people wouldn't blame you. I love that incomplete homework line yeah. so much. It's a really good um, analogy. I really metaphor. love that. So it's real. It's very real. It's real. And I also think it's important that because I'm speaking as a black woman, it seems like I'm always speaking from the point of view of a marginalized person, mm-hmm. but I'm not because we are all allies for each other. I'm not gay. I'm an ally for LGBTQIA+. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not an immigrant, but I'm an ally for immigrants. You know, I have a lot of things that I'm I'm an ally for. I'm not... What I am doesn't end... Begin and end at being a black woman. And I think that's important for everyone to realize that every single marginalized person out there is also an ally. So when they yell at you, it's because they're holding you at a high standard, but also they hold themselves to the same standard. At least I do. Yeah, absolutely. That was, yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, so I, here's the thing. We're going to continue to have these conversations. I really want to, to, you know, ask these questions. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know all the answers because I don't. Neither does Sophie, but, you know, the conversation needs to happen. And because of everything that's going on in the world... Everything that we're talking about is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's relevant. It's all relative. It's all intersectionality. Hey. (laughs) Hi guys, this is Chissy from your Get Woke team. Get Woke is a platform for black people to speak out on individual and collective black experiences. We aim to create a unique community for listening and understanding through the act of storytelling. For self-expression and enlightenment on Black experiences, get woke. You can find us online at www.getwoke.co, not .com, and on the internet at Get Woke Co. See you there.